श्री गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए ग्रंथराज श्रीमद भागवतम की जाए so we're continuing our discussion uh Srimad Bhagavatam First Canto Chapter eight We're in the midst of Kunti Devi's prayers. And we heard last night about how she perceived Krishna's pastimes to be bewildering. And in particular, she emphasized the point that he's God who, it would seem, would be impartial and unbiased, but... He appears to be biased. And she kind of weighed in on the Siddhanta, if you will, side of it, rather than the feeling, the bhava side of it, that he's that he's ultimately not not biased. Hmm? He only appears as such, just like for example the sun, I think I gave an example last night, it shines everywhere, but Different objects respond to it differently. Some stones may reflect the light and become luminaries themselves, for example. And um, some places just ab- absorb the light and don't reflect it back. And so the difference, the partiality, or the appearance of such, is relative to how people respond to his distribution of himself. That's one way to look at it. Kunti Devi has emphasized that point, influenced as she is in her love for Krishna, who is her nephew, by the fact that he's God. And this, as we mentioned last night, as opposed to the love in Vrindavan, where the fact that Krishna's God does not influence the love of the devotees. And we turn directly to that love today, in today's verse, and and um, a contrast then by the in the Bhagavad is drawn between really Kunti's love and Dishoda Mai's love. Before going on with that, we should mention, I believe, that with regard to the partiality of Bhagwan and his not being so, as it's been taught, given that different persons respond differently to him and he responds equally to how they respond and thereby is impartial dependent upon how they respond he responds <sighs> at the same time of course um, and well he he shares his love with everyone and everyone takes advantage of it in different ways, but in due course. <clears throat> everyone does, I guess you could say. And um, and their love for him that they express, that he becomes apparently uh, prejudiced towards or 
influenced by and so forth, hmm. partial to, is the investment of his own swarup shakti in them. Hmm. So he's responding to his own swarup shakti, which we, be <laughs> which we become uh, re- recipients of. We, we become um, um, invested with. Hmm. And uh, then r- respond accordingly in a way that makes it possible for us to overwhelm him, if you will, and make him biased towards us. So in this way, he kind of stays within himself, if you will, because his swarup shakti, as opposed to the jiva shakti or the maya shakti, is more one with him than than different. The jiva is equally one and different, and the maya shakti is more different than one. Hmm? Oh, they're all one and different in an, an overarching sense. So the investment of the Sarup Shakti in the Jeeva is Krishna's investing his love in them. Of course, he does that according to how they reciprocate in a certain point. Their reciprocation is such that he he steps on the gas and Brahmanda Brahmite Kon Bhagavan Guru Krishna Prashadi Bhai Bhakti Ladabija. In a general way, God is reciprocating with everyone or distributing himself to everyone. The sacred texts are there and so forth, and the different agents are traveling and canvassing on his behalf and teaching and exemplifying the teachings and so forth. And the jivas, the souls, the individual soul, they have some, maybe some, have some idea about God, some interest in God and so forth. And at some point, as I say, he steps on the gas and brings them in touch with the sadhu who can then bring them systematically to him. Guru Krishna Prasadi Bhai Bhakti Lata Bij. So by the grace of Krishna we get the Guru, by the grace of Guru we get the Krishna, and Guru is the medium through the Parampara through which this Sarup Shakti becomes uh, invested in us, which is what Bhakti is constituted of, and the ingress of this into our life gives us the possibility to relate with Krishna in such a way that he becomes, if you will, biased towards us. That's our good, good fortune. Hmm. So, just some other thoughts about his the nature of his being uh, prejudiced towards his uh, devotees. And tonight's verse, then Gopi, Ada de Toi, Kritagasi, Dhamatavad, Yete, Dasha Shru, Kalilanjana, Sambramaksham. Bhaktram niniya bhaya bhavanaya stitasya samam vimohayati vimohayati bhir api yad bhiveti. So here Kunti Devi refers us back as I was um, relating the other day to, to Brindavan and to Jashoda Mai in particular, the mother of Krishna and Vrindavan. My dear Krishna, you took up a rope, Yashoda, excuse me, took up a rope to bind you when you committed an offense and your perturbed eyes overflooded with tears. Which washed the mascara from your eyes and you were afraid, though fear personified is afraid of you. This sight is bewildering to me. 
So she had said in the previous verses how Krishna is bewildering, it's hard to understand him. He's God still. He's unborn, but he's born. He is, uh, acts and doesn't act. Uh, he appears like a human being amongst us and uh, and so on and so forth. And now she's further explaining the bewildering nature of Krishna Leela from her uh, perspective with reference to the Vrindavan Leela. She referred earlier to the Vrindavan Leela, uh, Nanda Gopa, Kumaraya, Govindaya, Krishnaya, Vasudeva, Devaki Nandanaya, Cha. So she mentioned various uh, persons, Devaki, Nanda, Vasudev. Hmm? These uh, are all persons in Vatsalya Rasa, which is the same as the sentiment of uh, Kunti Devi. Vatsalya Rasa means like to have parental love for, for Bhagwan. Hmm? But Yashoda has not been directly mentioned. And she is actually the pinnacle of this Vatsalya Rasa. She is the primary paradigmatic figure uh, that personifies this 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 bhava, this rasa for Krishna. All others who have some Vatsalya rasa are kind of derived from her. She's the fountainhead uh, of all Vatsalya rasa, Ad- Adhar Shakti, hmm? giving support uh, to Bhagwan. <laughs> so. Um, She gets special mention here. This is then the full ideal of the very sentiment that she herself, Kunti Devi, is situated in. Full-blown Vatsalya Rasa, as full on tilt as it could possibly uh, get. Devaki in Bhagavatam later on, Kurukshetra admits this as well, hmm? very beautifully, when Nanda and Yashoda uh, meet with Krishna after a long time in separation in the Rath, what, what is commemorated in the Rathayatra Leela, uh, in the Rathayatra, this particular Leela of Krishna going to Kurukshetra, and uh, inhabitants of Vrindavan coming there, and he's on an elephant and a prince and so forth, and they're meeting him, and there's this contrast of what he's like now in his princely Leela and what he was like in the Vrindavan Leela and so forth. And you can imagine, like I said, Krishna's riding there on an elephant and big parade with him and uh, trumpeters and musicians and dancers and Brahmins and sages and so forth. And and some people come up in covered wagons, um, you know, pulled by oxen and so forth. And to, to enter in at the gates, he's saying, "You got a ticket? <laughs> uh, this, is, this, is, this God is in here." Yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> sometimes he shows four arms. And, uh, we're his family members. Yeah, we're the Yadus. Yeah, and so forth. Uh, who exactly are, are you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you sure you belong here? And so forth. Uh, huh? The Vrindavan hillbillies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, there they were in the big in the big time, <laughs> uh, so to speak. So, of course, hmm, word is sent, and Krishna gives the permission: let them in, let them in. And then they they stun all the uh, so-called intimates of Krishna 
uh, from Dwarka Mathura with, with the measure of their intimacy and love. Uh, they say the witness, they witness Krishna's reaction to them, response to them. Devaki says, he's your son. You know, he's, she's famous, Devaki Nandan. Even the Vedas, it is said, he's the son of Devaki and so forth. And the story is, of course, that he was born as Devaki's son in the prison house in a mystical way, peering with four arms and and they're praying to him and so forth. And then Kamsa, then they go, excuse me, Vasudev's father took him in secret and hid him in Vrindavan in the house of Yashoda and took the daughter and so forth. So the external understanding is that she's, he's really the son of, of Devaki and he's the only the foster son of Yashoda. But Devaki says, he's really your son. And that, that, that determination is made by her on the power and the force of affection. This is the overriding rule. You might have a neighboring son and your own son, and your own son might turn out to be very ungrateful, and uh, uh, and the neighboring son may be always very helpful in coming over, and uh, the, the neighborhood starts to say, oh, he's actually your son. This one is by the law of affection and so forth. So there may be formal bonds uh, by initiation, by in spiritual life, by family life, uh, and so forth. But all these things will be uh, determined, the nature of relationships, by ultimately by the measure of affection we find. Hmm. So there are other reasons, of course, that the Goswamis have given to make the case that Krishna is actually the son of Nanda, lesser reasons, and, and they've looked at the Sanskrit text very carefully and made interesting arguments. But this is the overarching argument, and the argument that Devaki herself voiced. He's your son. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you see him, the way you react, uh, and the way he reacts, I can understand. He belongs more to you than than uh, to me. So Kunti Devi, in a, in a similar sentiment of love for Christian paternal uh, love is now glorifying to show the Mahi's love, and in the context of that, playing out further the nature of uh, the bewildering nature of Krishna's pastimes. It's bewildering; they are bewildering to his devotees, and they are bewildering to him. Hmm. Yeah, this is the point that she is making here, and she refers to the the central, if you will, uh, lila of Vatsali Rasa in the Bhagavatam, this Damodar Leela that uh, is celebrated in the upcoming month. Kartik month is also called the Damodar month. It's one of the prominent Leelas of this uh, this month. And it's treated in the Bhagavatam by uh, several chapters, maybe two, three, three chapters. Hmm. And um, so a beautiful uh, reference to it here. Uh, there's... In that chapter, there is a, some very famous verses. One very famous verse that uh, that um, um, draws on or explains the nature of Jashoda Mai's love. That uh, constitutes a very nice explanation of what we call rag rag bhakti, spontaneous love of love of Krishna, <clears throat> uncalculated. In other words, the love is given without any calculation that should be done because he's God or out of fear, or out of what I might get by doing it. Different motives for loving God. We may love God out of fear, or let's say serve God out of fear. If I don't do it, something bad will happen to me. 
Or if I do do it, something good will happen to me. Hmm? Or I might do it even if things, good things don't happen to me and bad things happen to me because it's the right thing to do. Hmm? We find this in Ramlila, hmm? this dutiful love and so forth. Uh, Mariada, Vidimarg, and then Ragmarg, where it's done out of out of love only, without thinking about it. And by Kunta, they think Krishna is Narayan is God. We should love it. We should serve him. In Vrindavan, they don't think that Krishna is God. Then still, they they serve him. They love him. They they worship Narayan at home. They go to church on Sunday, but their minds are somewhere else. Their minds are on Krishna. Uh, so officially they walk, worship in the home, Narayan and so forth, but their minds are always on Krishna. So a very extraordinary standard measure of love that the Bhagavad highlights. And it's uh, quite bewildering, um, she says here. She's, she's, she describes the Leela first very beautifully in, in brief, and most of you are familiar with it to some extent. As I said, it's a very... Um, important Leela covering several chapters, much to be drawn for that, much philosophical insight, much uh, taste, sweetness to be drawn from that. Uh, basically, uh, it was found out by Nanda and Yashoda, and Nanda is the king of the cowherds, so he had all the best, 900,000 cows, and as it's described in the Bhagavad, and uh, an excellent herd and uh, quite capable of producing milk for the family and so forth. But it was found that the young child, Krishna, was sneaking off at every opportunity and stealing milk products from other people's houses. And so the ladies, the neighboring ladies, would complain, and Dushoda Mai would come and, and say, no, it can't be true. Hmm? It's not possible. Hmm? Well, if he comes, you know, it's normal for a child to, you know, to explore, but why don't you keep your butter in a high, you know, high up, so that uh, he won't steal it? Well, well, you know, he 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 finds a way to stand on a friend's shoulders and take it anyway. We do that. Hmm? Why don't you put it in a dark place so that he can't see it? Then, well, wherever he goes, the place lights up. <laughs> you know, so all well, this kind of exchange goes back and forth, and she's in denial. Yashodama hmm? is in denial that her son is actually mischievous as the neighbors think, at least in front of them. But inwardly, she knows there's a problem, and so she blames Nanda Maharaj. <laughs> what kind of father are you? What kind of coward are you? You're the king of the cowards, but your milk from your cows is not sweet enough to keep our son at home. And I have to get the flack from all the neighbors and all their complaints and so forth. Hmm? Of course, there are charming complaints, and the neighbors are loving to complain, and loving the fact that Krishna is coming and stealing, and giving giving the opportunity for them to taste Vatsali Rasa, the other ladies, and so forth. Hmm? All of them following in the mood of Dushodamai. Hmm? So Krishna shares this Vatsali Rasa with, with all of them who are in that sentiment. Hmm? And this is one of the instance examples of that. So, she complains, and then what does he do? He says, all right, well, you know, got to keep my wife satisfied. So uh, he takes certain special cows, the best cows of the herd, and then he puts them on special grasses. Hmm? And from that special milk, the mother you showed her, that was the milk that she was boiling on the stove at the time of the Govardhan Leela. 
time of the Govardhan Leela, there was, uh, uh, excuse me, the, the, the time of the Indra Yagya, which is, has a relationship with the Govardhan Leela, but it was before Krishna had inquired about the Yagya and what it, what it was all about. So this was something that was going on annually. They were worshipping Indra. And so when the time came around to worship Indra, then all of the maidservants in the house and so forth, they had to be busy with the preparations for the Yagya. So Yashoda Mahi, on a rare occasion, is home alone with her son. And she's nursing him, and the milk is boiling over on the stove, and that's the special milk that Anamaraj has gone to great trouble to, to collect uh, for Krishna at her request and so forth. So she has this dilemma, what to do? Hmm? Shall I put Krishna down? He's so content, suckling my breast, and tend to the milk, or should I let the milk boil over and allow him to continue to, to, to nurse from me? So this is a kind of an intellectual dilemma. It's a little different than our intellectual dilemmas here. Here we have an intellectual dilemma. Should I serve Krishna or not? Hmm? But in, in, in full bhakti, it's how, in what's the best way to serve Krishna in every instance? Hmm? Still intelligence is operative in the power of discrimination, but it discriminates within the context of bhakti. What's the best way, most pleasing way to to tend to him, to serve to him. And with this in mind that she puts him down in pursuit of what we call tadiya seva, serving that which is dear to Krishna, like Tulsi, like Vaishnavas, and so forth, is said to be more pleasing to Krishna than serving Krishna. Parvati, Devi, the wife of Bhagavan Shiva, Mahadev, he, uh, she, he, she asked her husband, what is the best, the best kind of worship? He said, oh, Aradhananam Sarvesham Vishnu Aradhanam Param. Of all types of Aradhanam worship, the worship of Vishnu is the best. And Devi Parvati was thinking, well, I worship you, and you're not Vishnu, so I guess I'm not doing the best worship. Hmm? She felt a little dis- disappointed in her heart, and Shiva could understand that, so he continued with the verse, Aradhananam Sarvesham Vishnu Aradhanam Param. Tadiyanam, tasmat parataram devi, tadiyanam samajanam. However, he said, my dear Devi, hmm, the worship of that which is dear to to Krishna and Vishnu is more pleasing than the worship of Vishnu directly. And then she thought, oh, very good. My husband is a devotee of Krishna. Vaishnavanam etashambhu. Shiva is the best Vaishnava, it says in the Bhagavatam, a great Vaishnava. When Shiva hears this, oh, he likes that better than Om Shivaya Namaha. He hears Vaishnava Shambhu. Oh, Shiva, you are a great Vaishnava. Oh, yes, it's very pleasing. <laughs> so we are also worshippers of Shiva, but in this context. Hmm? Hmm? Taking the higher side of Shiva. He has a lower side attending to some people. <laughs> so... Uh, the Tadiya Seva, so the, the, the cows, the milk, and so forth, she, she decided to tend to that. Hmm. But Krishna outwardly showed um, uh, uh, some, uh, protested. Outwardly he expressed some indignation. You put me down and, and left me and, uh, to tend the milk, and so off he went. In, a, in, a, in rebellion and mischief to 
um, uh, steal butter and break the pot and give it to the monkeys and make a mess and so on and so forth. So when she dealt with the milk and then looked for him, he was gone. She traced after him and found his footprints in the butter <laughs> in the ghee that had fallen on the floor from the broken pot and so forth. Found him there feeding ghee to the monkeys, which is, you know, ghee is, it's a valuable commodity. If, if you think how long, how, how, if you have cows that you protect and take care of, then, you know, uh, just to be practical here for a moment, how it takes an hour, um, at least, an, an, at least a, a, an acre of property of grass to feed a cow, mm-hmm. And um, at least every couple of years you have to have a calf and so forth. So to keep in milk, just to milk one cow, you probably need about, uh, if, you, if you don't have a calf every year, if you have a calf every two years, let's say, and, and, you keep, and she keeps milking, you have to have ten cows at all times milking one hmm, to have uh, one cow milking because... Uh, given the lifespan of the cow and so forth. Mm-hmm. So if a cow will die in about 20 years mm-hmm, and you have a calf every two years, then if you have 10 calves, 10 cows is a sustainable herd, mm-hmm. a no-kill, as we call it today, herd. Mm-hmm. Um, a of milk. Mm-hmm. You have to keep 10 cows in order to have one cow milking. And you have to have 10 acres. <laughs> Or buy grain, and, or excuse me, buy, buy grass and so forth. So milk is, is costly. Mm. Now you can go buy it in the store for cheap, but there's a cost to that milk. There's a karmic cost to that milk. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, then to, have, then to take the cream, turn it into butter, turn the butter into ghee, and to find your son giving ghee to the monkeys, <laughs> wait a minute here, you know. This is it's expensive commodity here. It's not good for the monkeys either. So uh, she was uh, upset. And she chased him, he ran, and she caught him, and she, and she tied him up. Sounds pretty heavy for a child found, tied up, you know, in, in room, you know, for... Oh, for for two day for one whole day, you know, <laughs> tied up to a tree. To a, well, he was tied up to the actually the, the mortar. The uh, tied up was like news for CNN or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so uh, <laughs> uh, of course, the the, the the story of how she tied him and how she had gathered the rope and and Jiva Goswami tells it very nicely. She took. The ribbon from her hair, and tried to tie him, hmm? but it was two inches too short. Meanwhile, all those ladies who had been complaining, they were up looking over the wall into the courtyard and smiling and said, eh, "See what a rascal he is! Now you're seeing for yourself," and, and so forth. <laughs> and seeing the dilemma of Jashoda that the, that the ribbon was too short, they started supplying rope. And these cowherds, when they have nothing better to do, they make rope, because rope is important for 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 cow herding has many good uses so that they brought tons and tons of rope all the rope they could find in their households and still attached to that ribbon it was two inches too short two inches too short two inches too short hmm. so much philosophy to be drawn out of this he wasn't growing fatter and fatter all the time 
The idea is somehow inconceivably his form is all pervasive, even while appearing medium size. And he cannot be captured by any other, any effort other than love. And when she saw him, when he saw the measure of her love that she wanted, why did she want to tie him up? Was it to chastise him? No, actually not. She had chastised him, started to, and he ran away. And then she thought, oh my God, he's going to run away. I better tie him up. What will become of me if he runs away? I, I, I could not live without him. Hmm? So, he ultimately, of course, he acquiesced to her effort, which is symbolically one of the inches too short. Uh, he gave, her effort and his mercy, these two things are required, effort and mercy to capture Krishna. We should make effort to get mercy. This is bhakti. Make an effort to get mercy. That's our effort. To get his grace. To position ourselves in such a way that he may be inclined to share himself with us. Um, and so, those things being in place, he, she, he allowed himself to be tied up with the original ribbon only. Hmm? And so, anyway, the neighbors started to hear about it. The word went out. Nandamarsh heard, your son is tied up in the house. He ran back. What's going on? And then Mother Yasoda was so embarrassed and crying and crying. She went and hid in her room and closed the door. And Father and, and, and Krishna... Of course, what had happened, of course, is Krishna pulled him. His little friends were there, and they were sporting with him, watching him tied up, and challenged him. And so he, he pulled the mortar in such a way he lodged it between two large trees in the courtyard and pulled, and the trees fell over. And two devas came out of the trees, offered prayers to Krishna. Krishna gave him a benediction, and, and the cowherd's boys saw this, and they said, ah, they told the stories, and everybody said, yeah, yeah. Boys will be boys. Two trees fell down. That's what happened. The child, the child was tied up, and and the, the, the trees fell down. He could have been uh, hurt. And what kind of mother is this? This is kind of the, the sentiment. She's gone in the room and crying, and and uh, so not. So the, Krishna won't go and drink milk from her breast. So Nanda Marsh has to go and and take some milk from the cows and heat it up a little bit and put a little sugar in and give it to them, Krishna and Balaram and so forth. And Rohini goes and petitions on Yashoda Mai's half. Oh, you should go and see Mother. No, I will never talk to her again. <laughs> like this. Uh, finally, of course, he acquiesces and runs in there and so forth. And This Leela very much showcases the love of uh, Yashoda Mai and it's a nice example also of Anukul Bhakti. Bhakti is said to be Anukul. Anukul Yena Krishna Anushilanam. It's a culture of favorable service to Krishna. We're pleasing to Krishna. Where we, as I say, we have to use our intelligence how to serve him best in any given instance. And um, it's interesting in this regard because it looks like something unfavorable. She's tying him up. Hmm? And someone else is coming to, before the altar and picking a flower and offering the flower like this. But in their heart is, Oh Krishna, I'm giving you this flower, which I just picked on the roadside for free. Please give me a lot of money <laughs> in return so that I can buy this and buy that and so forth and so on. And so that's a, externally it looks much more pleasing than to show to love, but internally the heart is in the wrong place. 
her heart is in the right place, and then it can take this extraordinary shape that all of the Vrindavan love does. Sometimes Krishna's friends are wrestling with him and pinning him to the ground. Hmm? And, and sometimes Radhika won't let him in. Keep him away. I don't know. I don't want to see him and so forth. We think, I thought she was a high devotee. <laughs> the best devotee. Krishna wants to come into the grove and she says, I'll never talk to him again. And his friends wrestling him to the ground, defeating him and saying, now, okay, you have to carry me on your shoulders and so forth. This is very bewildering, this, this Vrindavan love. But their heart is in such a place that it takes this shape and Krishna says, I like this very much. Oh, I, I like this kind of love. It's more pleasing to me than the Vedas, than chanting of the Vedas. That puts me to sleep. Hmm? <laughs> hmm? This is a, we find in the Vrindavan Leela that Krishna is so alive and awake. We call it sometimes Astakal Leela Sevanam, Leela Seva, 24 hour, divided by eight, eight divisions of the day and night, 24 hour service. Well, the point of that, in one sense, is that other forms of Bhagwan, avatars of Krishna, and so forth, they don't afford the opportunity of 24-hour service. Hmm. Uh, let's take, for example, you know, the the the, the object of Brahma's worship, Vishnu. And so he's sleeping most of the time. And then there's a Om oh, Yogi, and he comes out, feed himself, goes back to sleep. Vishnu is a the manifester of the world. Uh, you know, he manifests the world and he unmanifests it, goes to sleep. Hmm. Uh, yoga, nidra, and so forth. Krishna, by comparison, is always awake. Even Mother Yasoda in the Leela puts him to sleep. And of course, he goes out in the night to meet with the gopis and so forth. So the idea is that the love there is of such a nature and such a measure that it's animating him to such an extent. Hmm. That he that twenty four hours he's 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 occupied with the love of the devotees, overwhelmed by the love of the devotees, and 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 he tr- and the point of this verse here is he truly is overwhelmed. She says, "I'm bewildered by this." The point is that she would not be bewildered by Krishna's uh, here. Krishna is God. He's in the example of the Leela cited. He's chastised by Mother Yasoda. He's afraid of her. He runs away, even though fear itself is afraid of him, it says here. Fear itself is afraid of him, she says, but he was afraid of Mother Yasoda. This is bewildering. It wouldn't be bewildering to her if she thought, this is an important point, that Krishna wasn't actually bewildered, wasn't actually afraid. He was pretending to be afraid because it's part of the Leela. He's actually God, he's not afraid of anything, but he's pretending to be afraid. That could be digestible. But the fact that he was actually afraid, that's bewildering. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> you have to digest that. This is he, just like you're afraid. He's feel, he actually feeling afraid. Hmm. This is the human-like Leela of Krishna. He becomes so human-like. He plays the part of a human so much, a human love with all of its intimacies, intricacies, nuances, turns of the road, ups and downs, and so forth and so on, um, that that he loses sight of his godhood. There's a nice um, 
point raised by Vishwanath Chakrabarti Thakur in this car regard in his book Raghavart Machandrika. He raises the point that Krishna is completely overwhelmed in Vrindavan by the love of the gopis. Hmm? So those devotees who are Raghunuga devotees and they want to follow in that ideal and enter into the Vrindavan Leela as their ideal in life, their sadhakas, practitioners, they pray to Krishna. How will Krishna hear their prayers when he's completely overwhelmed by the devotee's love in Vrindavan? So he says, well, some people might say that, well, the Paramatma is a manifestation of Krishna in the heart, so he will hear the prayers, and through the Paramatma, Krishna will accept the prayers. But Vishwanachakati Thakur says, who's really a rag practitioner, he cannot tolerate this idea. That the Paramatma will hear my prayer. I want Krishna. Hmm? I want the Paramatma out of my heart. <laughs> I want Shamsundar in my heart. Hmm? Um, so, how will we resolve it? He says, if we look at the Dwarka Leela, we find there that the that Uddhava, the learned Uddhava, he made a statement. Krishna came to him and said, I'm being pulled in two sides. Hmm? The, the, there's a necessity for me to protect some of my devotees and see to the, the killing of Jarasandha. At the same time, I'm being invited to the Rajasuya sacrifice held by Yudhisthira Maharaj. And there's some conflicting in the dates here. So what should I do? And the Uddhava says, Oh my God, you know everything and you're bewildered about this. And you're really bewildered about it. And that's really bewildering to me. <laughs> he said, that is, really, that is very extraordinary. So the point is that sometimes in the Dwarka where they know that he's Krishna, sometimes still he shows some divine ignorance hmm, for the sake of the Leela. Hmm. And Vishwanath Chakrabhi Thakur then uses Shastra Yukti, kind of a scriptural reasoning and logic that derives from having taste for the texts and can make such nice explanations. He says, if we then reverse this out in the Vrindavan Leela, in the Dwarka Leela, he's mostly omniscient, but sometimes he's bewildered hmm? and uh, in, in, in divine ignorance. And in the Vrindavan Leela, he's mostly in divine ignorance and sometimes he's omniscient. Mm-hmm. So, so there's scope that the devotee's prayers, if they're sincere enough, the sadhakas, then he will hear them. He, his omniscience isn't gone, but it's really suppressed to the background. So you have to think you have to have pretty good prayers <laughs> to, to 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 catch him in an omniscient moment, if, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, but again, the point of Uddhava is he really. He really is bewildered which one to do. I mean, he's not just asking me. And this is, and Uddhava is a very nice example because he's so learned, he's the Shastravid, he knows the scriptures, everything. So, in his opinion comes, oh, then we have to take it seriously. So, and similarly with Vishwanath Chakrutitakur's opinion, we reverse this out in Vrindavan. And, and this is what Mother Yashoda is saying here, that Krishna actually was afraid. Hmm? And, she, and she's showing her sense of his godhood in the context of her vatsalya rasa and loving him 
as in, in, in parental love. Whereas I said yesterday, the, the two manifest um, sometimes the godliness and sometimes the sweetness, sometimes the Aishwarya, sometimes the Madhurya. Hmm? And uh, she's going back and forth between these in her, her, um, her prayers here. In fact, the whole Bhagavatam, Vyas walks this tightrope in his writing between Aishvarya and Madhurya. Aishvarya. Madhurya means sweet, means Krishna's forgotten who he is, overwhelmed by love. And Aishvarya means he's aware of his, his, his godhood. So he's walking this tightrope because the background, if you will, to the, the Madhurya is this Aishvarya. In one sense, that's what makes it Madhurya. What makes Krishna Leela sweet is the fact that he's God. Because, well, somebody's. Everybody does the things that Krishna does in a sense that are sweet. Krishna falls in love. Krishna has. Uh, you fall in love. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, what makes it especially sweet is that God's doing it. And acting like one of us, and 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 and, and, and appear, appearing fallible, hmm? even though he's infallible. This is extraordinary. So the background to the sweetness, the Madhuri, is the Aishwarya. Hmm? If you were to take a jewel and then put it on a black backdrop, oh, it shines so much more. So when we put the Madhuri on the backdrop of Krishna's god godliness, then hmm, it shines out. It becomes something like very extraordinary, and she's speaking. This is very uh, uh, extraordinary thing. So the Bhagwat seeks to tell us about the ultimately the Madhurya of Krishna, the sweetness of Krishna, the possibility of love and intimacy with Him hmm? in eternity in His leela. But he has to explain that leela in such a way that it's properly understood, and so he's always moving back and forth. Vyasa, the author. Sukadeva, the speaker, between Aishvarya and the Madhurya, and and it's very literarily speaking, from a from a authorship point of view, it's very expert what he's done, how he's brought out the Madhurya so much more fully than in any others of the sacred texts, any other of the Puranas. He brought out the Madhurya, and in the in the context of that, laid the philosophical background. So it's a very sweet, poetic book, but very philosophically profound at the same time. None of the Puranas really compare to the Bhagavad. That's why it's called Amalam Puranam, the spotless Purana. So here it's apparent, at any rate, with Kunti's love, that she's aware of his godliness because she says, fear itself is afraid of you. Still you are afraid. So she, it's apparent. She knows he's God. Fear itself is afraid of you, and at the same time, you were afraid. That's you were bewildered. I'm bewildered by that, but I'm attracted to it. I'm glorifying it. It's a very extraordinary kind of love. It's the love we see in Jashoda. That uh, is the uh, the Vishnu says. Here's the example of Uttam Anutam Bhakta. Uttam Bhakti. <laughs> Jashoda Mai. This. Uh, this kind of Vrindavan uh, uh, love, complete uh, self-forgetfulness and a kind of divine ignorance in which um, if it's ever shown that Krishna is God, 
it never affects their love. They think, well, maybe Narayan did something special through him, but he's just our friend. He's just our son. It takes some time to really di digest this. It's a very big idea, actually. It's, and, and, and great people like Kunti, from a historical kind of point of view and from a, her social position, royalty, and so she's a very extraordinary, high-class lady, very high-class lady, Kunti Devi. I mean, she's the sons of the, the mother of the Pandavas, and she had a benediction from who was a Durvas. She could call the gods for begetting her sons and so forth. And historically, you know, she's a very high-class royal, princely, or what do you, what a blue-blooded royalty, sophisticated, educated, edu educated woman. Here, her prayers are showcased over so many verses. The prayers of Kunti, we're learning uh, so much from her, very philosophical and so forth. This is her statement about the Vrindavan Leela. She's bewildered about it. So we think we get it, we understand it. You know, we we kind of get the idea. But she really gets the idea. She really gets it. And she's just overwhelmed by that. She's actually showing some real reverence for Ragmarg. Hmm? The Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, this was his whole campaign. Pujala Raga Patagoda Vabhangi Matala Sadujan Kirtanarangi. That we shall look at this ragmarg where Krishna is bewildered by the love of the devotees and we'll reverentially worship that love, hmm? holding it above our head and try to speak about it and explain it philosophically. Hmm? Share it this way, that it might be properly understood. Hmm? And then of its own accord, by its grace, it will descend within us and our reverence for it will be crossed over and we'll enter, actually enter into it. We don't want reverential love of God like they have in Vaikuntha hmm, that keeps some distance between us and God. Where there's worship, you see, there's the object of worship, there's the worshiper, and there's worship. Where there's love, that bridge, that gap is bridged between worshiper and worshipped. The gap is bridged in a beautiful, in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a dynamic way, not in the monistic way. We become one with Bhagwan in love. You and I are one. Something like that. We're on the same page. Maharaj and I are one. Yeah, we're still two different people, but we are the same, of the same opinion. Something like that. Hmm? Narayan or Krishna sees his devotees as one with him. Do something to his devotee, you've done something to him. Please his devotee, you've pleased him. Displease his devotee, you've displeased him. They're one. Hmm? So especially this is the case in the Ragmarg, where this, I said this gap between worshipper and worshipped, and the worship is bridged. Hmm? And so to, this is our ideal to enter into this, but in order to do so, we have to understand, give some, understand what it is, because it's easy to misunderstand and then artificially think that you've, you've gone there and so forth, and there are many misrepresentations of uh, Krishna Leela, un unfortunately. Hmm? Mere sentiments not well grounded in philosophy and so forth. So Bhakti Siddhanta for much of his campaign was, was for this, to teach the underlying philosophical principles, the canvas, if you will, on which the art, philosophical canvas on which the art of Krishna Leela is, is, is drawn, is manifest. Hmm? That we call out Jinta Beta Beta, and these kind of talks are supposed to 
help us with that. And Kunti, as I say, she, we look at it, we say, she really gets it. Hmm? She's making, she really gets it. She, she says, he's actually afraid, and fear itself is afraid of him. This is extraordinary. What is that Vrindavan love? She, she has her own love for Krishna, and she's satisfied with that. Hmm? But she's stepping back here and objectively looking at the whole range of Vatsalya Prem and saying, here's where the Prem that I have reaches its pinnacle in Vrindavan. That is super, super extraordinary. What a recommendation, as I say, for the Vrindavan Leela from Kunti Devi. <laughs> That's what she's telling you. She said, my love is like this, but you should go there. <laughs> Any question? <laughs> yes? Uh, you were saying that there's a karmic implication for taking like the, the uh, you know, like the standard cheap milk that they sell in stores. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, you're, you're going to get some karmic implications from doing that, from using that milk. If you offer that milk to Krishna, are you helping out the cows? Because they're then serving Krishna? Well, probably um, there's um, thought to be some benefit for that, but I don't think that it really um, outweighs the whole kind of factoring, factory farming industry and, and the support for it and so forth. It's so um, um, cruel in not only to the animals, but it's cruel to the humans and to the environment and so on and so forth. So I don't think that... Um, I, I think this. I think that humans need milk. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. And so um, we are in an unfortunate circumstance in the world today with industrialization um, in terms of some of its excesses and so forth. I would call the factory farming an excess of industrialization that, that is detrimental and problematic. Um, and so, as devotees of Krishna, we have to drink some milk, we have to offer some milk. So we should make an effort to find milk, acquire milk in our given situation uh, that will be uh, the least, um, will, be, will constitute an act that is least cooperative with such um, uh, industry. Mm-hmm. So, um, make some effort, and then of course people have budgets and so on and so forth, and, and uh, so you could find, for example, you could say, well, here's my situation, I live in the city, I don't, I, you know, I don't have near a farm, I can't get any fresh, fresh milk from a cow that's protected or whatever, so, you know, let me find milk that is take it from cows that are pasture-grazed instead of corn-fed mm-hmm. and who aren't, um, uh, what do they call it, oh, given hormones mm-hmm. and, and so forth. You know, they take cows and they just feed them corn uh, grains, which makes them give more, but it's not, it's not their natural diet, a little grain, but their natural diet is grass. Then they give them hormones and, and it's just torture. And so there's the low end of that, and then you know the high end of that is to come to a place like this and take our milk and from protected cows. No, no cows ever killed. No bull is ever killed. So on and so forth. Um, 
and then, and then there's some range in between. Right? So you, you, given your situation, you find yourself somewhere in that range and always trying to find the best place within that range. That's how I would recommend that devotees conduct themselves with regard to milk. Does that help? Yeah. Maharaj, you had a question? Oh, I was just, just thinking about Kunti's perspective here, it's another, it's another angle on what we've been reading in the last few mornings. How the infinite subordinates himself to the finite. Mm-hmm. And just the idea is bewildering, and I think it's easy to misread the sentence. Yeah, yeah, as you did this morning, yeah. How the infinite is subordinate to the finite. Of course, it's by the will of the infinite. So, how the finite can understand the infinite can't, but if the infinite wants it to be understood, then anything can happen because it has infinite cap- capacity. So that is that's how it happens. In other words, Krishna initiates that. He sends his devotees through them, his Swarup Shakti in the, in the form of Bhakti, makes himself available. And so the finite can conquer the, the infinite. He allows himself to be conquered. By love, he sends his love out. It touches people, and it comes back and haunts him <laughs> positively. Uh, yes. In regards to the swarup shakti of the devotee becoming accessible to the common people, I've read that uh, actually the, the Hladini shakti I've read is is a transmittable via these four elements: the dust from their feet, the water washed by their and the remnants of their food, but also their instructions. Is that accurate? Can you elaborate on that? I think it's mentioned in Chaitanya Charitamritam that these are very special yeah. things by which you can get Krishna's mercy. Mm-hmm. But I never heard it elaborated on any detail as to mm-hmm. specifics and so forth. But but bhakti is constituted of uh, it, 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 it is of of Ladini some bit mm. and so forth. So, so according to the the measure of one's real participation in bhakti, one is whatever would be hearing, chanting would be wouldn't be relative only to those four four things. Um, then, uh, then uh, to whatever extent, whatever measure one is actually involved in bhakti. This, there's some ingress of this Srup Shakti. And it takes a certain shape. At a certain point in the beginning point, it takes the shape of cleansing the heart. And at a later stage, which we call Bhava Bhakti, it becomes so prominent that it, a particular identity in relation to Krishna starts to form in the heart. So we call that Bhava Bhakti. But it's not that there's no Srup Shakti before Bhava Bhakti at all. What is taking the shape of doing away with the negative influence? One of the aspects of the Srup Shakti, it has the capacity to dispel ignorance, but more so the capacity to overwhelm Krishna. So through any form of bhakti, you'll be in touch with that. All right, what's the time? Okay, we'll stop there. Kantra Srimad Bhagavatam Vidya. Oh, it's